So as I went to go and check it, there were three guys down there and they just opened up with the AKs. And um, they they hid behind this building on the right side of us. My vehicle got hit because we did a battle collateral damage. My vehicle got hit 136 times. You know, I lost all the jerry can, spare wheel. My driver was hid in the footwell because um, that's, yeah. And, and I got hit in the helmet uh, just an inch uh, above my ear. And I had the old Mark VI Alpha helmets right. at the time. And everyone else had the new Mark VII helmets uh, because my head was so big. It, I, they never had my size in the store. So I kept my old helmet. And I'm glad I did because the new Seven Alpha helmets were higher cut at the ear so it would have hit it yeah i'll be here now all right craig welcome to fast performance then as you know um i've been wanting to have people like you on especially you for a long time and i've reached out i've managed to grip you and grab you in there kicking and screaming so welcome to the channel the the people that follow me technically know a lot about military aviation but not much about soldiering uh, the British Army or indeed they would never have had anyone like a sniper come on here and tell a story so um, I've got a few things I want to ask you how you doing yeah I'm good Tim thanks for having me on the uh, on the podcast how is your hip uh, my hip's fine it was the blood clot that afterwards that w- w- it was the killer uh, never experienced pain like it but seems to be all cleared up now so a little slight pain in the hip but yeah I'm walking around so I'm getting right. there slowly Madness, madness. Right, let's have a look. So I'm going to just stick some down here. I'm going to put this down here for you. There you go. We've got this. The Longest Kill. You've written a book called The Longest Kill. Uh, I've read bits and pieces of it, to be fair, diving into it all um, all over the weekend. Um, going back into your history then, obviously, you don't want to start with, with that, but you, you joined the Blues and Roars, am I right? Which means you're a corporal of horse, which is quite interesting. What's that mean? Yeah, a couple of So, um, sergeant in Latin means servant, and the queen didn't want servants protecting her. So, she gave our regiment a different role, uh, like corporal of the horse. So, so corporal of the horse is a rank of a sergeant, and you get lance corporal of the horse, which is a um, corporal, and you get lance corporal, which obviously is lance corporal. And then you get staff corporal, which would be a um, colour sergeant, and that's, right. how, that's how it works. So you had you 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 learned to ride horses and everything. That's all part of it, is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was riding. I've been riding horses since I was little. Since I was yeah. God, really little. My mum got me a horse. Um, went pony trekking for a pony trekking holiday, and I've enjoyed it so much. My mum spoiled me and got me a horse, and uh, I, I sort of sort of started show jumping, started doing stuff everything to do with horses I was fatuated you know and there was I, I was born and bred in Cheltenham and there's not much in Cheltenham for a younger guy um, and I know people in Cheltenham still that haven't left Cheltenham since I was at school and I think that's quite sad and so my granddad said get a trade get a trade get a trade always get a trade so I joined the household cavalry basically to become a farrier to get a trade and um, because it's hard to get uh, an apprenticeship outside the army as a farrier. So I joined yes. the household cavalry, you know, to do the horses, to be a farrier, you know, and um, it all started from there, really. So do they give you, I mean, obviously then you ride. I was, I, I've always been fascinated by this. So, I mean, you were obviously a quite a proficient horseman, well, a rider before you went in, whatever the term is. 
so when other guys join us, is that, are they not? They need the full teaching, do they? Is that what happens? Yeah, basically, they even if you did ride before, they like you to ride the military way. There's, yeah. uh, there's certain ways. The saddles are different. The bridles are different. You know, you, you ride with a double reins and stuff like that. So they sort of like try and kick all the civilian side of riding out of you and teach you the military way anyway. So it doesn't matter if you've ridden before, if you haven't ridden before. You know, you, you just end yeah. up riding the military way anyway. Yeah, I was saying with flying, even if you've got a private pilot's license, they don't care. They're like, well, yeah. the military didn't teach you. You know, the military didn't teach you, they don't care. They don't care how great a pilot yeah. you're going to start at the beginning do the whole lot. So how much riding do you do then when you join? I mean, there must be there must be a basic um, training. Oh, you get up at, yeah, yeah, you do, you do riding school, which is, I'm not sure yeah. how long it is. I think it's 12 weeks riding school. So basically you're getting up at like half three, half four in the morning, you know, going down the stables, doing your horses, and then you ride and you groom, then you end up cleaning your kit, then you end up doing foot drill. It's constant. It's, they said, when I was there, they said it had more intensity in doing SAS selection, <laughs> doing riding school, because the intensity, you think you're a 16-year-old boy, just left school, you're signing for nearly a quarter of a million pounds worth of kit, You've got a horse to look after, you know, and just the intensity is, is quite a lot. We had a, at one point, we had the highest rate, AWOL rate in the British Army because lads were just joining the army thinking they would go to the armoured side and go, yeah, you're going armoured. Oh, brilliant, I'm going to Windsor. But yet the riding school was in Windsor. They end up in riding school. So, yeah. Jeez. And then after that, once you've got that tick, I suppose like a qualification, isn't it? You're you've got a qualification for, for riding. Do you then, obviously, infantry regiment, all the, all the, it's armoured, isn't it, as you said? Yeah, you, you get the armour side. What's the so role then? You do, you do the ceremonial side, like Troop in the Colour, you know, parades, standard colours, and yeah. like parades and all that. Um, and you do change in the guard down Whitehall, so you sit on the horse, you know, and it goes down. Four of you stay on the horse. They'll be the cleanest on the guards. And then people on their feet will be the dirtiest. So it goes down in line. So it's worth cleaning your kit because you only do, um, what, 11 o'clock until 4 o'clock and that's it. The rest of the time's yours to clean your kit and get your head down or do what you want. But you stay on guard uh, that, down in yeah. Whitehall. And then um, you're meant to do two years on, two years off. So you're meant to do two years at Windsor, sorry, two years at Knightsbridge and then two years at Windsor on the armoured side. But the lack of manpower uh, that the army has or the regiment has, you can either decide you want to stay armoured or you want to stay mounted. Mm. I managed to do four years uh, mounted, uh, and then I went to the armoured side because I was a bit of a bad boy in London, really. So I was going to ask about that. So you're a young soldier... In London, London's not the cheapest place in the world. So obviously, you, no. you work out where to go and have a few beers and stuff like that. And there must oh, be yeah. mischief. There must be. I knew a fusilier, um, a captain friend of mine, Tower of London, of course, the Royal Regiment Fusiliers, based out of at the time. And uh, he used to have hellish problems with his troops in London. You know what I mean? Oh, that, yeah. You become a we, we, weekend millionaire. You know, <laughs> you get paid. You're a weekend millionaire. You got yeah. London, and you just 
17, 18 years old and you're in the centre of London, you've got money in your back pocket, you're going to bars, you know, and you end up fighting, you end up getting drunk, you end up, Jeez. you know, you could go down the wrong hole. You could go down the wrong rabbit hole oh, if you wanted to. It is a nightmare. You were getting a skill. So you joined the army because you felt, and that's sensible, by the way, for people watching this, get, get, getting a skill out of the military. And unfortunately, when you fly these airplanes, it doesn't give you a skill when you leave because you don't get any qualifications at all. You leave with no life. I can't even fly a glider, can't fly a light airplane, can't fly anything. I still run a business teaching in the virtual world online, of course, but this doesn't allow you to do anything. Multi-engines, helicopters, slightly different. But in the military, you don't get licenses when you come out flying-wise. So do you get, like, trained when you're in the Army and, you, and you're obviously you're riding? You can come out because – is there, like, a, a, a farrier qualification you can do in the Army? So when you come out, you're like, look at this, I'm an Army farrier. Like, what? Yo, yeah, work? yeah, you, you, you get – it's called time-barred. So basically, you join the Army um, to become a farrier. You become a farrier. And then you're time barred for three years. So right. you, because I think they figured out there's no point in putting all this money into you, and then you leave straight away. So they time bar you for three years, and you start off on um, level three, and then you become level two. And when you're level two, you're qualified to work on civilian horses as well. And then all you right. become level one, which is the highest you can become. And then lads usually leave the army and start their own business up in the mm. civilian sphere as a farrier. And that's what I wanted to do, you know. But when I joined in the 90s, uh, 90, 1991, my era, um, the forge was full of Victorian handlebar stashed um, meatheads on, you know, and my face didn't fit really because I was slightly dyslexic as well. So when I wanted to... Um, do homework at night mine was more illustrated than written work and it really didn't fit in what they wanted so i didn't really qualify to become a farrier or qualify to do the assessments they required so so what did you do made it. so you went obviously you're, you're soldiering now um you've got that duty obviously but you're soldiering but how long did you do that then before you decide that you like want to go and do something different and expand into say the sniper business and doing the school and everything like that how, how does that work so what's what leads you up to doing that well basically the regiment the regiment side is forward reconnaissance so we we drive scimitars spartans sultans around and we not we, we haven't got them anymore we've got an, uh, a vehicle called ajax and it's a it's a, a multi-million pound vehicle they've you know we've had to move camp so we were always based in windsor but now we're in Borford and Salisbury Plain. Because right. the, the, only because the vehicle didn't fit in the hangar, so and Balford had spare hangars, spare accommodation, so everyone moved there. First time in centuries that we've ever moved, you know, because Windsor Camp was ours. Yeah. But when I was in, we're, our job was forward reconnaissance. So to um, go forward more than anyone else, um, apart from SF, and um, gathered lifetime information of the battlefield, and then come back and either get into a bit of drama or come back, give me information, you know, and say it's all clear for the rest of the battle group to pull up and stuff like that. And that was the job of the regiment. And there was no such thing as snipers then. But then um, I think they realised how valuable snipers were and how much they could basically fuck a whole battle group up and fuck the enemy up. So Drac 
which was the um, the main officer in charge of the ROC um, sort of like armoured division, he said, "I now, I now believe that snipers can join the Household Cavalry." So um, I was one of the first snipers to go on the course. Uh, first lads go on the course on the snipers course, and uh, I, would, yeah, I, I just excelled, I excelled, and I came back to the regiment as a sniper. So how long is it? How long is it? Where do you go for this? Is it Brecon or somewhere? Or where... um, you can go to Brecon, which is the uh, school of um, Warminster, right. or you can go to uh, Purbright, which they mm. have a sniper course down there. I did the Purbright one. Um, how long so is that? Then? That's um, it's nine and a half weeks altogether. I think it's, it's a bit longer now, but it's quite intense. You do, you know, you. You're not. You got a very sleep deprivation course because you got to prep all your kit. You know, you got to learn all your lesson plans and everything. So you're finishing lessons about ten o'clock at night, and then you're up at God knows what time in the morning to prep your kit for the next day for the range, or you do field craft. So yeah, it's quite intense. You know, a lot of people fail it. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Is it is it fizz heavy at all? I mean, is it is it physically or is it more? Yeah, yeah, you got to carry your kit A to B. So you right. haven't got vehicles with you. Nowadays, they use quads. Snipers right. use quads at regiments. But um, if you haven't got a quad, you're on your, you're on your feet. And you can carry up to uh, £150 on your back. And you got to think, you got to carry all your Optex. you got to carry all your batteries, plus your water, plus your rations, plus ammunition for three weapon systems. So you've got your sniper rifle, you've got your SA-80, you've got your pistol, um, and then you've got to carry your own kit, like warm kit, spare kit, you know, and so the weight does pile on after a while, you know. Yeah, so I can imagine, actually. Now, if you're talking about, what, the Accuracy International L115, isn't it? Is that the... Yeah, yeah. Right, I've got something up. I'll just share this screen because um, I've read about this. And, and you know these answers, and I don't, by the way, so I'm going to ask you these things. Uh, here we go. So I've got – now, we should be – yeah, there we are. Look, we're down the side. How cool is that? So there we go. Now, this is to do – this weapon here, it says, is – there were some questions about this. This is to do with the um, – uh, used in the, the wharf in, in the Arctic because there's a denser, heavier air, and that has a difference. I, we're using the, the 338 – was it Lapua Magnum? Is that what the yes, round is? Yes, that's what it is. Yeah, the three three eight Lapua Magnum Lapua Magnum rifle. Yeah. So, so it's um, they had the L ninety six, which is a, a the the first sniper rifle that the the army had, and right. it's a lighter it's a lighter version. Brilliant okay. in the green zone in Afghan. You know the the the, um, the L one that one there is a um, is slightly heavier. So um, you couldn't really bring it up as a sharpshooter's rifle. Um, it's more used as a sniper rifle more than anything else. In the field type thing? Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. Donating to Wikipedia. I've done a lot of that. Right, so and so you, you can have different rounds. In it. it does talk about the barrel on this thing, which I found quite interesting. I don't know much about this. It talks about how the barrel is a compromise. I read this earlier. It's a compromise between um, all the different things that, that can uh, sort of compromise a rifle. Uh, I don't know much about barrels, but um, obviously when you fire around, it spins, doesn't it? Down the barrel, it's rifled, comes out, um, at a, a warp factor six, it seems, right? Oh, there you are. actually featured in this Wikipedia article down the bottom here. Oh, there you are. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Yeah, with your, with your range and everything. And that was with this rifle, wasn't it? Um, yeah. 
and you talk here, it says that you mentioned that the environmental conditions are perfect for long range shooting, no wind, mild weather, clear visibility. When when you talk about all that stuff, I mean, we get the same with flying. It's like I want 10 knots down the down the runway. That's all I want. You know, what I mean, because then I've got nice 10 knots to get airborne from no crosswinds. It must be a similar thing. You've got someone else that comes out with you. I call it a spotter, I assume, is it? Yeah, yeah, spotter, yeah, yeah. You take it so before you go out, you say, right, I'll be the, I'll be the, the guy that's going to get all the medals today, and you be the spotter on that. That's what you say. You agree, or you change over roles, or how's it work? Uh, usually, the you you get a one and a two. So the number one is usually the better shooter, and number two is usually better at doing the calculations. Okay. So, so the number two would do the wind for you. We do the calculations, and basically, then he'll put it into the scope of number one, and number one will take the shot. But in my case, when I worked with my number two, we were the same capability, so we just took it in turns. Oh. You know, it's going to yeah, I'll shoot today. Yeah, I'll do the, I'll do the, uh, you know, I'll do the calculations today. Yeah, no worries. You know, and that's how we worked it. Or sometimes we'd add two rifles out at the same time. You know, right. for max for max firepower. So you can do that. Yeah. Okay, so then someone's still calculating for both of you, are they? Then, or you're doing your own? Yeah, program? yeah. You can. The spotting scope has got the exact exact the same grat, uh, right. gratical in as the sniper rifle scope itself. So even okay. if you had two rifles out, you could still work out uh, distances and um, what the enemy is. You know, PRD in it. Yeah, absolutely. I get that. I get completely. So above, I think you said above thousand meters, or whatever. You start having to take into into effect uh, sort of, sort of the fact that the, the Earth is rotating. Is that the, I know the artillery. I know artillery does that. I didn't realize that snipers do that. So how on earth does that calculate? I mean, how do you even calculate wind? Like, have you got a device that you hold up here and go? Uh, yeah, you got you got you got a wind meter, and basically that gives you in uh, kgs um, yeah. how fast the wind's going, and then you have uh, uh, data dope. Um, which is your um, original data because you spend ages on the range. Mm. You know, before you go on tour and everything, you're spending ages on the range and you're gathering as much information as possible, uh, wind speeds, wind pressure, uh, biometric pressure, um, what height you are from sea level and everything. You, you've got to work this out. And it's on your... Um, you have a an A4 bit of paper and it's got all your data on it and you laminate it and basically that will tell you different wind speeds. So at something like, say, for instance, 15 kg uh, an hour, the wind's blowing um, and it's blowing left to right. So left to right, mm -hmm. you put on five clicks left so I it counter-reacts what it what it's doing yeah so you're going so, into the wind basically so the round would be coming back yeah, yeah but also you got a thing called spin drift as well because when the bullet comes out the rifle in the uh, the rifle in the barrel is uh right so when the bullet comes out it's spinning right so it will spin right so as well as doing your wind you got to do a thing called spin drift as well so you got add more left on than right yeah to counter-react the spin drift coming out. Over well. the range. So when you know what range it is, you go, I need to add a bit more because it's going further. Is that right? So Yeah. Yeah. So basically yeah. the bullet will go flat for about yeah. 300 to 350 metres. The bullet will okay. stay quite flat. So really you don't have to put any adjustments 
on your rifle at all because the velocity of that rifle and the, the power of that bullet, you know, w will hit the target. But anything over 350, say 400, 500, 600, 700, you got to start putting your data on. Otherwise, the wind uh, is going to start taking effect. You know, the pressure, rain, anything will start taking effect of that bullet. Do you measure the wind then? I mean, we use knots, obviously, but when you talk about kgs, is this a weight variant? Is it weight of, of fluid in effect? Is that what you're looking at? Because when you're in sniper school, you have to, you talked about getting your briefs ready for the next day. Yeah. You, then you, what, I assume you're getting in, in here. We, we, when we do our instructor lessons, obviously, we, we have to instruct. And so we're assessed by guys like myself and senior guys. Um, we assess the other instructors on how they teach the students and they teach us as we're pretend students, so that we can assess them. Are you giving briefs at sniper school to, to prove that you've got the knowledge of what you've, you've been taught? Is that, is that what they're doing? What happens, you do the, the basic sniper school, which is the level one sort of basic sniper, which you yeah. learn everything, and you come out as a qualified sniper. Yeah. And then you go down to Warminster, to the battle school, and you do your section commanders, which okay. is your instructors, basically, and then from there, you do, from Warminster again, you do your platoon commanders. Yeah. So you, I was lucky to do all three. So I left as a platoon commander, right. uh, which usually which is an officer's job. Mm. Um, and it's more of like um, that you sit in an OP room and you, you sort of like, you, you tell the snipers where to go on the ground, basically. Yeah, so if they're going out to do CTR or something, you, you're telling them, Close target, yeah, basically. Yeah, you're in the option, yeah, right? and you, you're giving the O group to him to say, Look, this is where you're going, this is this is the kit you need, and you'll Very be in nice. the O group and you follow him because they'll have a thing called Blue Blue Force Tracker on them. Yeah. So, there'd be a big map on the uh screen, and uh, there'd be snipers dotted around, and that you could see a move across the screen, which is is just pretty handy as well. Yeah, I need some of that, that'd be pretty cool, you know. What I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I didn't realise that non-commissioned could do that platoon commander. Is that PCBC, is it? Yes, it is, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, all right, cool. Uh, well, look, we're looking at that. So one thing I want to talk about, right, we've done, we've done, I'm more interested in the in more rifles and now you got into the army and all that kind of stuff. I think it's brilliant. But we do have to talk about your tours. Now, I reckon, well, we reckon, because we had a brief chat before, that I wrote about um, being over a town called Alamara, or Amara, they call it as well, in um, southern Iraq, stuff from Basra, in fact, about 2006, early 2006. And you were there as well. Uh, you were saying I was in the big jet here, but you were yeah, yeah, yeah. Just um, on the stadium, I was going to say the other day when we spoke uh, that um, I was on the Simic building when the riots were going on. Yeah, and um, God, yeah, I remember, I remember bits, bit, just been in firefights, you know, because, and I remember the SAS um, Hereford being on the roof as well with a fifty cal you know, taking vehicles out. And then they used to jump off the roof, go to another roof and then go to another roof. Yeah. But um, we had jets do flybys on them. So you never know. It could have been you, Tim. Yeah. Well, it could be. I mean, a young boy wrote to me, actually, a guy called Alex. He was on the ground and he said, um, he, we got a date together and we, we realized that the story I'd written about was probably a couple months before him. And he was on the ground and we had on that squadron, which is 12, we had um, another guy whose name I won't mention on here, but he put two jets over over that guy. So um, we're obviously quite active in that part of Iraq at the time without without realizing it. You know what I mean? But that was, yeah, I mean, that was I was all over Iraq, all up to Baghdad, Kirkuk, 
um, uh, Mosul. We did the whole thing, but there was this quite intense activity. I remember around Amara when I was there. So, mm-hmm. so, so we talked about that, right? But then you went into Afghan. I wasn't on the ground in Afghan. I was only in Kabul. But you're obviously out there running around, getting yourself shot. Afghan 2009. You got hit on the head when your, your bullet hit your helmet. What's that about? Yeah, I was saying um, they were putting a PB in uh, PB um, Minden. Uh, it was a new um, observation base they were putting in. So it was a big operation. So the Taliban couldn't dick us. And yeah. uh, they, I had control of the left side uh, flank of the operation. So I had four vehicles. I had 12 lads. And we were just scouting around, you know, trying to force the Taliban not to dick us. Yeah. You know, keeping them on the move. And I remember not checking this dead ground on this ridge line. And I thought, well, I'll go and check it. So as I went to go and check it, there were three guys down there and they just opened up with the AKs. And um, they they hid behind this building on the right side of us. My vehicle got hit because we did a battle collateral damage. My vehicle got hit 136 times. You know, I lost all the jerry can, spare wheel. My driver was hid in the footwell because um, that's, yeah. And, and I got hit in the helmet uh, just an inch uh, above my ear. And I had the old Mark Six Alpha helmets right. at the time. And everyone else had the new Mark Seven helmets uh, because my head was so big. It, I, they never had my size in the store. So I kept my old helmet. And I'm glad I did because the new Seven Alpha helmets were higher cut at the ear so it would have hit it yeah i'll be here now put it that way Seriously, it would have gone know. in. yeah it would have gone in yeah and what, the bullet like the bullet awesome. went all the way round yeah and came at the top yeah it knocked it knocked me out for about a good 20 seconds good 20 seconds i was gonna say what happens there i mean it must be a massive it's a 7.62 round isn't it? so it's a huge bang it's a big velocity oh yeah Especially the distance, because there's there's three stages to a bullet. There's um, supersonic when it left. Yeah. Then it goes transonic, and then it goes subsonic. Now transonic is when it starts wobbling, and it starts right. sorting its you know starts wobbling in the air, and then it's once it's sorted itself out and stabilized, it's slowed down so much it goes subsonic. So, but this bullet hit me supersonic still. Going, you know, especially from the distance he got fired at, I could see the guy firing at us. What range you know? was that? Then? How far? Uh, probably hundred hundred yards, hundred yards, seventy yards. Within Easy. range, isn't he? Exactly, like yeah. three meters, you know, an AK or something. So he's, he's so how can they manage to get so many rounds off? What did what what did you do back to them? It must be a bit of a shock. So all of a sudden, this is all coming at you. I like- I I tried to I, I had a jimpy on the front of my jackal, and I opened up with that, and. um and I didn't realise that some rounds have hit the jimpy box and crushed it. All right. So when the belt was going into the jimpy, the belt snapped. So I was flapping about that. So then I don't remember doing this, by the way. Um, yeah. This is me. This is me coming round after being knocked out. Yeah. My driver told me this is what I'd done. So I got my SA80 out, which was in the doorwell of the, um, the the jackal, and I stood up and I just let a whole thirty mags go straight away. 30 rounds go from a mag and it kept their heads down. And then C squadron who were doing the North border, 
they came round the top and they started engaging them as well. And um, I think the we killed two Taliban and one got away on a motorbike. It's crazy, isn't it? Just yeah, so quickly, didn't it? But no, no, no yeah. one's actually. No, there's no injuries then, apart from you rolling around the floor for 20 seconds and going, I don't know where I am. Yeah, but, just me rolling there. around. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was bizarre. Well, it's just Craig. It'll be all right. Drag him up. Put him in the wagon. It'll be cool. That's, that's it. Up. I spent. I spent a day. We were so far forward in Afghan, they they weren't going to bring a helicopter in. So they just because I they had really bad concussion. Mm. So they did then. I spent a night in the field ambulance uh, in the Mastiff. And then I felt shit in the morning, but I sort of blagged it with the doctor. Yeah. And he said, do you feel all right? And I thought, yeah, I feel fine. And I went to join the lads and we carried on the mission. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes the best thing for you, don't it? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Right if, you, if you get dragged back into some other camp, you're sitting there going, well, this is great. What to do now? Just sat here with the boys yeah, out there. I, exactly. The I feel fine. So I just yeah. feel a bit wheezy, that's all. So. I need a new helmet, please. Preferably a Mark Six, just so we can... <laughs> yeah. I, I actually, I actually asked for a Mark Six when, when I got a new helmet for the stores because they didn't, they didn't believe me. They thought I lost my helmet, you know, because obviously they do a thing called yeah. Each each briefing at Cap Bastion, they do a whiz report, right. and the whiz report it basically tells you what's going on on the ground. And they said, yeah, the Cobbles Harrison needs a new helmet, and they were saying, why has he lost it? Has he lost his helmet or something? And there was a big uproar about it, and I thought, no, I've been shot. My helmet's been weakened, so I need another one, you know? Yeah, so someone shot the helmet. It's, it's in bits somewhere, you know what I mean? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love it. Um, right, okay. So now obviously in that same tour then, later on, uh, you go out. I think the Daily Mail talks about this. We can share a Daily Mail article, can't we? I, th I think that's legal to be able to share a Daily Mail article. Uh, it talks about, um, obviously, your – here we go. I'll just try and get it up now. It talks about your shot. Now – I've read the story about this, obviously, because you cover it in your book and everything else. This is quite an interesting one, really, because is this, is this where you were you were bracketing the the guys on the PKM? That's is that right? Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. So you've got these, you've got your boys in a gully because it's all gone wrong. Someone's opening up with a PKM, well out of range, but the rounds are still coming in on them. So these guys, and you you're bringing your rifle up, and you're like. Well, that's too far away. I think. I think actually, the um, uh, I've got the accuracy. I've got well, you can tell me, but the the range of this it says about twelve hundred yards for the effective firing range of the one one five. I'm assuming, yeah. and and yeah. your, it's got a maximum firing. Have you seen this now on Wikipedia? It's got a maximum firing range of two thousand four hundred seventy five meters now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. <laughs> so you've done that basically. You've gone, yeah, that, that firing range. Just going to give them a call. Accuracy international. Just, yeah, you know it says twelve hundred yards. No, you want to just dial that up a little bit. That is brilliant. <laughs> That's actually your range on that on that Wikipedia page. That's brilliant. So, so you basically you've gone badness over there. You've got your boy with you. He's spotting for you, and your yeah. only way you're going to be able to take these guys out is by literally lofting the rounds in. Is that right? Yeah, basically, I shot the first round. I put my scope on the max magnification that could go, right. and then I fired. Then I fired a shot. And what I was waiting for is to find out where it hit. And um, it sort of like I could see the dust go, and yeah. my spotter saw it as well. And he'd go, yeah, yeah, it's it's down there. And that I think, okay, then. So I need to lift up a bit more. So I shoot again, and it hit another compound wall. And that's bracketing. So I'm working my way up to this uh, compound wall where this uh, PKM is, and there's two Taliban there. And basically, when I hit the compound wall, 
one got up, one Taliban got up, and I fired again. So this is my fourth. Sh- well, I fired nine shots to hit the compound wall, and then the lads got in the shit again. So I was sort of like um, taking Taliban out in the village. Yeah, and then um, the the vehicles got stuck in the mud. And I couldn't work it out why a 4 by 4 vehicle was stuck in the mud. And it worked out that to my right-hand side, there was a Taliban guy and he knocked the um, a head off a water pump, irrigation water pump, and it flooded the field to enough knee-deep water. And it was all turning to like like quicksand quagmires. So you know what the mud's like out there. It's yeah, disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like a sandy, muddy sort of like some substance. Well, anyway, um, I I shot him at six hundred yards, six hundred seventy-five yards. I shot him, and then I went back onto my targets, and all the water was spraying up, and I couldn't figure out why the water was spraying up. And as I looked up, that's when I saw again two Taliban with a PKM shooting yeah. at the guys that I just sent out there. So I knew in the morning I got nine shots and I knew how to hit the compound wall. So what I'd done, I fired again. So I fired my first shot. The first shot missed. So as I, I fired a second shot, and as he stood up, I hit him in the chest. Mm. And then his mate must have realized, fuck, we're getting shot at. He got up. I fired the third shot. Then as I fired this third shot, I moved across and I fired the fourth shot. So I got two bullets in the air at the same time. Yeah. Um, and it was six seconds of flight for that distance. So I had one at one at three seconds, one at six seconds. The, four, the third one missed and the fourth one hit him on the side. And the only reason why we knew where I hit him is because – we try and get the weapon. You try and re- you don't want it to get recycled back into the Taliban. And um, an Apache came up behind me, and I could see the pilot he was really low. And I pointed him to where I just engaged these guys, and he GPSed it, and he got back onto uh, the, my um, forward air controller that we had, and he said, "Yeah, it was two thousand four hundred seventy-five yards." out there and he went out there and he said the weapon's already gone and really? we went out there to look and the bodies and that's where I knew why I'd shot these guys but the bullet slowed down we worked it out to about 40, 40 miles an hour, that's how slow the bullet slowed down so if they had body armour on yeah, they would it would have just pinged off the body armour you know but, it's amazing uh, it slows down doesn't it I mean See, we talk about missiles when we when we teach when I teach jets on, uh, on on radars and we're throwing amrams down. We do say fire one off at X round at X miles, and then we we close in. We fire another one, so we've got two in. One's going active, whilst the other one we're still guiding it. You're doing that with bullets. <laughs> it's, it's, have yeah. that one. We'll have another one. Then there we go. In case you move, it's like yeah. Is, is that sort of thing in sniper school? Did they go right? What are you are you now? Did they now talk about like the Harrison technique or anything? They go right. This is something you can do at range if you want to. You can put one in and then you can move and put another one in. Is that something you were taught in sniper school or is it something that you just learn on the battlefield? 
Not at all. I thought to myself, well, I've missed on my first one, and the distance is so vast that I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't plan to hit him. Yeah. It wasn't the plan. It was, I thought, fucking hell, I've hit one. Because he went down. Yes. I could see him go down. Yeah. And I thought, fucking hell. So I'll have a go on the second and my third and fourth shot. So, but no, it's, I suppose it's intelligence of what you're thinking. Yeah, you so you just, so it, it, it makes sense. And if anything, you're just throwing rounds down range. It's almost suppressing fire to keep heads down to protect the boys, isn't it? That, that makes sense. Exactly. You're saying you're sending a blanket of rounds down instead of you leaving a gap for them to get away. So I, I didn't realize the PKM had that range either, though. I mean, they must have been. But you, but you think they weren't firing at me? My yeah, troops yeah, were okay. quite a so distance, so it was half half for them. Right. Okay. So, so yeah. Yeah, fair enough. And was this now? Were you like the the Mail article shows here? And I'm not overly convinced they got this right. Um, were you in like a a prone position here, or are you just leaning on the bottom? No, of the I, was, I was stood up against the wall. So you stood up against the wall. Are you being supported at all by this wall? Or, I mean, is it is it completely freestanding next to the wall? I mean, because if I did that, I'm not even being funny. I, I'll be all over the place like this. What are you doing? You're yeah, I was, sorted, you're breathing sorted and stuff. How's that work? Yeah. It's, I had to take myself somewhere in my mind where it would calm me down because I had friends down there in the shit, you know, and I was leant against this wall and I was stood against it and I had one hand out holding the bipod because every time I fired around, the velocity, the ferociousness of the rifle, yeah. the kickback would yeah. knock chunks off the wall because the wall's only made out of shit and mud and straw, yeah. you know, and the wall was coming apart. So I had to reinforce it by pushing my arm forward on the bipod as well as firing as well. So, yeah. Bits of yeah. Wall and I've, I've, got, I've got a photo as well is that my leg was shaking and it was interrupting my sight picture because my leg was shaking so much. So what yeah. I'd done, I got a stone and I rested it against my ankle. And I've got a, I've got an actual live picture. Um, <laughs> yeah, my gunner took the picture of me taking my shot, and I've still really? got that. I've still got that now. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. Someone's actually taking a picture of you. Gee, yeah, my gunner brilliant. did. Yeah, that is brilliant. So you didn't have a spot there or anything like that at the time. Then you're literally just. I'll have a go at this. I had my I, I had my driver with me who wasn't a, who wasn't qualified or anything, yeah. and I had to take him through the spotter scope uber quick. I meant to, I said, right, this is the spotting scope. What you're looking at is what I'm looking at. All you got to do is put the mill dot on it and say where it is, and I know what mill dot you're looking at, and I can engage that target. So, is so. there when you say what you're looking at is what I'm looking at? It's not a freestanding scope, then it's. Somehow coming out of the rifle, is it the image, or how's that work? Or you've set it up with you? You've gone there. There it is. You've set it up. Yeah, yeah. I set the, I set the spot and scope up for him. Okay. He's right next to me. So yeah, yeah. when he's looking at something, and he's going, um, "Oh yeah, it's the second house on the left. Um, yeah. Two mil dots." I go I on the see. second house, go across, yeah. and I go, "Yeah, two mil dots. I can see." Exactly the same image. Yeah, got spot. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's quite cool, isn't it? It's quite funny because he's probably just talking. What well, we call it, talking in clear. It's like he doesn't know how to do the right language. And so he's like, yeah, there's a big buffalo walking across there next to the house. You know what I mean? I can see the buffalo. Yeah, I had to I, I had to rely on my gunner for the radio and I had to right. take my headsets off because I had to concentrate so much doing these shots 
yeah. you know, and um, I was engaging a lot of Taliban that day. I think 13 altogether really? that day. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, because the patrol going in as well, they, they got casualties and some had to be extracted out. So that's the reason why I sent my vehicles into the kill zone. So yeah, they well, can act as a buffer between the Taliban and this patrol, basically. Yeah. So when you get to the bottom, I mean, you get to the bodies, do you, in the end? And so you can assess the, the do you get the bodies and you do see them? Yeah, they actually, they, they were the orchestrators of the whole attack. Were they? So they ended up being two Taliban leaders anyway that I they shot. Were. Okay. Yeah. And that sort of went down like a shit balloon in the Taliban community, really. Well, I bet and, it did, yeah. yeah. And, and they knew that a sniper was on the ground and this sniper could shoot, basically. It's, so it changes things, doesn't it? When you bring a sniper in, the dynamic of the field apparently changes. Yeah, it um, panics. It panics. When I was in... Um, when I was in Iraq, in Basra, we was in a place called the Pijok, and um, from Basra Palace, you could walk it in 10 minutes, but in a vehicle, it takes two and a half hours, you know, because you get fucking hammered. But when, you're in the, when you're in this Pijok, there's only um, 18 of us in this Pijok, and basically it's a, a defence for the prison, which is next door. And all the time, from 5 o'clock in the morning Sorry, five o'clock, eleven o'clock in the evening till five o'clock in the morning. Sort of the gates were hell would open. You know, they all wanted to let these prisoners out, and we used to let the machine guns go, the jimpies go, mm. fire um, before we would fire because if they heard one single shot, they would scatter. Right, so the Covering your shot, basically. Causing, so basically, know, yeah. It was the same in Afghan. They hear one single shot <laughs> and they, they shit themselves, basically, because they know you got a, a precision rifle on the go. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. That's, that's clever, that. So that's like a it's a battlefield domination weapon. And if a sniper's on the ground, there's no snipers loose. Yeah. So uh, that's interesting. Yeah. I haven't really thought of it in that, in that, in those terms. I suppose it's always been that way, isn't it? Since Second World War, I suppose, if you have a sniper out. Um, yeah, without, without a doubt. And I remember um, in Canada, we did a mass exercise. They had jets, boats, fucking yeah. you name it, I had it in Canada. It was like yeah. a six million pound exercise. And it wasn't myself, but it was two other snipers held the whole battle group up for four days. Um, and every time they popped up, they got shot at. They had the Tezex vests on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, it was a nightmare. And eventually the instructors went up to these snipers and god-gunned them and killed them. Because they, say, right? yeah. Yeah, they, they, just, they just couldn't get on with this mission because these snipers were just killing everyone. Yeah. And it just proves that two snipers can hold a whole battle group up, you know? I bet the battle group's like, these snipers are dicks. <laughs> it's like yeah. Just, just yeah. Someone... <laughs> yeah, basically. Drop. Fucking everything on these snipers, just kill them. <laughs> get rid of them. They're starting to piss me off. All right, then you get blown up. What's that about? So now you're in your jackal. This is mad. No. Uh, yeah, we was on a um, a mission and uh, to give Overwatch for the, um, the the Yorks to go into the green zone. Right. And so we had to find some high ground to look down into the green zone to give them cover and support. And um, the mission went fine. Everything was fine. And then we decided to come back and 
you know yourself in Afghan from five o'clock, it's pitch fucking black, you know, and it's like somebody's turned a frigging light out. There's no ambient light from villages or anything. It's like, it's fucking pitch black. And this was at half four and I decided my lead vehicle stopped and I thought, why is he stopped? So I got out my lead, got out and I ran to my lead vehicle as one of my mates. And I said, you're all right. And he goes, I've got a bad feeling about this. And he said, uh, I've got a wife and kids at home, Craig. And I went, okay, mate. And he goes, I've just got to read. I said, I'll tell you what, because I'm not meant to lead. Right. Uh, as a sergeant, you're meant to be at the back. Right. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll lead. I'll lead this out. And he goes, okay. And I led. And as I went through this field, um, I hit an anti, a 30 kilo anti-tank mine. And um, yeah, my, it, they couldn't find my driver yeah. because he was covered in sand. It blew me out the vehicle. Um, and I, I ended up breaking both my arms. Obviously, my hips were fucked. I had a, a brain injury. You know, obviously, my hand, obviously, my yeah, hand was started. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was going as well. And um, they sort of casivacked me out back to Bastion. And um, they didn't realize I broke my arms at that time. And I kept saying to him, he's looking really pale. He's looking really pale. And I was going, my fucking arms, my arms are killing me. And they said, no, no, we've checked you. You're all right. And I said, look, I'm not being funny. My fucking arms are killing me. And they said, okay, we'll x-ray him again then, give you a peace of mind. And they found out that I broke my radius, my scaphoid, my wrists on both arms. And I, I remember it to this day now, the doctor looking at the other doctor going, how do we miss this? How do we miss this? Well, anyway, they sent me back to England. Um, I was six month, uh, six weeks in cast. And then uh, they took me out of casts. I went to physio. They made me do 10 press-ups. And then they sent me back out. I love it. Legend. How do you fix your scaphoid? When I broke my scaphoid, that's not easy to heal because you can't get the blood no. around the back. Did they drill it? Yeah, that? yeah. Fixed it? No, so, no. They, they, they just, 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 just left it. And you were okay? I did, I, yeah, it clicks. It clicks. I bet it clicks. Yeah. Because, you mean, you're a sniper. You, you need your hands, right? And scaphoid. Madness. So, and your driver, you said... Oh, we, we just go. lost. Oh, we got no, it. Back, I got yeah. it. No, I got it. Yeah, yeah. My driver sort of like um, he didn't lose his legs at the time. It was uh, due to the injury that they made the right. decision to amputate his legs, sort of thing. So, yeah. and that was a hard. That's a hard thing to cope with, you know, because he was he was next to me in bed. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, you know what the funny thing is, though, when we lose jets, it, 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 that could be our time. That could be someone else's time. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That morning, someone else took that airplane, and we, you know, we were supposed to. I've handed. A, uh, I was supposed to take the jet that Sean Cunningham took that morning in, in Red Arrows, and he died in that airplane on on a on ejection. There's a fault with ejection seat, but I was supposed to go in that airplane, and I was supposed to just check that the, the combined speed indicator was given the correct data to the accident data recorder because of a, a fatality in the Red Arrows back in 2011. And it just so happens, the weather was so poor, Sean said, "Can I take it, Tim? Take it, Sean. It's fine. I'll drink tea." happy and he died that morning so we can't ever blame ourselves for that stuff you know what i'm saying it's like mm -hmm. it could have been another round you know it's just the way it is we're all doing this together aren't we so 
But I mean, it's like I, I did take a, you know, with my mental health issues, I did take it a lot on board for myself, like guilt wise, yeah. because yeah. obviously through Iraq and Afghan, you know, I think Afghan I had more responsibility. I had more control. Yeah. Because my, my officer got hit in the first three weeks really? of being out in Afghan. So I was doing an officer's job as well as a sergeant's job. Um, and they weren't going to replace the officer. So I had to do this all the way through the tour. And it was quite stressful doing O groups and plus doing my yeah. job as well, you know. And putting the lads on the ground and when they get hit or they hit an IED, you take I you take that was you take that quite personally because in my head I think, fuck, did I do it right? Did I put them in the right place at the right time? You know, did I do that right? Did I do this right? And you do, you beat yourself up about it and it, it's yeah. fucking horrible. It's horrible. But I mean obviously you're getting paid, the officers pay at the same time though, aren't you? So that's Yeah, I wish. Yeah, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like no, let me do his job as well. I'll just do it for free because, yeah, why not? Just That'd be brilliant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, let's have a look then because um, I've got down here. What's that? I've got that. Yeah, so we've got that. So you, you come home and they send you back out after that then. So that's it. You're right, back out. But you've just had, I said, a hip replacement with obviously the blood issues. That That's due to this, isn't it? This incident later on. Is that right? Is it in yeah. Are yeah. you going to get the other one yeah. done as well? I need my other one done as well. Yeah, that's the problem as well. Now they'd be bionic, um, won't they? They'd be like titanium and stuff. And yeah, never have, so we'll, you won't have to get them done when you're 80, will you? You're, you're done now for, for life with hips. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, I'll be done now. Yeah, no That's more. It. Why did your name get released after this and into the press? What was that? Why did that happen? Well, basically, uh, you have a medals parade when you come back off yeah. tour to get yeah. your medal, and then um, all your family's invited, and basically, they invite the press in as well but the press has to be accompanied by somebody from London district media ops to uh, walk around with them. Okay. And whatever you tell them, it gets censored. And right. my adjutant at the time, um, cause my lad saw more action than anyone else. So I said to this press guy, will this get censored? And he says, yes, it will. And I asked my adjutant as well, will it get censored? And I kept asking him and asking him, will it get censored? Because I was paranoid it wouldn't. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, it all gets censored. Okay, then. So my lad started telling their stories, and I told mine. And then he turned around to me. He says, do you realize you broke the world record? I said, what do you mean? And he said, yeah, the Canadian, uh, Rob Furlon, you broke his record at the sniper shot. I said, yeah, but he had a 50 cal. And he said, he says, Craig, you broke the world record. And I was like, ah, oh, well, um, okay, fair enough. And then I think the medals parade went ahead and it was a total success. And then the following Sunday, I opened the papers and it, my name was in the papers. In, and the story never got censored um, off London District Media Ops. Never got censored. So they just ran with it. Yeah, they it, just it, ran with it. It, 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 sort, it sort of fell on the desk of an old crusty colonel yeah. from London District Media Ops, and he's gone, yeah, that's fine. So my wife's name got mentioned, my daughter's name, my name, where I lived, and everything. So we had to go in hiding for three years. You know, it's just happened with a book that a, a buddy of mine released called Typhoon. I mean, it, all the names in it were approved. 
but he's got all the names, all the pilots that are out there dropping stuff. Maybe we've maybe it's enough time afterwards. I don't know, but I do know a couple of the pilots that were a bit like, hang on, I didn't realize I was going to my full name was going to be in the book. You know what I'm saying? It's I don't I don't understand why we're releasing. I think I'm out of the military enough. To, I had death threats when I left as well. But um, and so I had to. I don't give my home address out. You know, I say I live near Cheltenham. I do, but within about you know 25 miles of Cheltenham. Um, and we got, but now I think I'm all right. We've been out for a while. You know what I'm saying? I don't think it's a problem. But at that yeah. time, that was you were still in serving. Yeah, that to me is unbelievable. So you're still serving, and you're in hiding for three years technically. Um, I was still serving at a time, but then I was going. I think the last two years of that, I was going through a medical discharge with PTSD. That's it. So we're going to talk about that. You were denied a military cross because the colonel didn't think it was appropriate or something for why didn't why didn't why was that denied? Um, he said, "I think see, my family's had enough stress as it is." Yeah, because that's going to bring a lot of stress, isn't it? A military cross. That's the opposite yeah. of stress. That's relieving yeah. the stress. But fucking yeah. Who's, who's, what was he then? Was and I remember, just... I remember, I remember, I remember it clear as day. I remember it clear as day. I was in Germany on exercise on the um, simulator tanks and all that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, big simulator uh, thing. And I remember getting called into the office. For, of, they called me in. And it was the adjutant. And he said that you've been awarded the uh, military cross. And he says, what ceremony would you like? And I'd said, well, I would like a private one. I don't want to be in the limelight. And yeah. he goes, he goes, that's fine. He goes, that's fine. He goes, don't tell anyone. Keep it, as, you know, as private as possible. Yeah. Well, anyway, the couple of weeks later, the whole regiment's uh, on the parade square and the honours roll come out. And he goes, Corporal Harrison, I stood to attention. And he goes, mentioning dispatches. And obviously, I, obviously I've told people, you know, because it's something I, I, I yeah, was well, quite yeah, proud yeah, of. Yeah. And um, you, you could hear a fucking pin drop. You know, and I marched out and I marched out to him, I saluted him, I stood next to him and he read the citation out and um, he turned around to me and I remember it clear as day and he said, I turned the military cross down for you because I didn't want you to stress your family, more stress for your family. Why would it be more right. stress for your family? Fuck no. Thanks, sir. Appreciate that. What dick? Yeah. I don't understand Thank that. You. Was it to yeah. do with the regiment? He didn't want that someone in the regiment to have a military cross or something? Or? I didn't even think oh, he was able to military cross down i didn't think he was someone was responsible for turning it down once i mean who was someone had to write a citation for you yeah it was my um my troop leader wrote it down so so then it would have gone up to him of course and then he would have had to put it through himself yeah makes sense he hasn't in fact put it through has he he hasn't yeah i see that makes sense he's gone now or another it would take him to push that for you to get it and he's decided not to push it because of your mental health because he's a dick well, well, yeah. I, well, I couldn't work it out. The adjutant rang me up and told me what he said. Yeah, do you know what I mean? So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. So when, when then uh, does you leave? Do you leave the military? Are you starting to build up PTSD issues while still in, and then you medically discharge from PTSD or for physical dis- disability, or what is it? Yeah, yeah. Through PTSD, through being in still, um, I was yeah. going on exercise and. Um, I was taking it to the extreme while I was still fighting like I was in Afghan. Yeah. You know, and my wife noticed first the changes. Tanya noticed the changes in me, first of all. And um, I didn't notice it. And then um, the regiment started noticing my changes. And then I got called into the MO's office. And um, he said that 
you've got severe PTSD. Diagnosed me at the time with severe PTSD. I went to um, Older Shop to mm. the um, place where they deal with you um, with PTSD. I wasn't getting any better. I was sort of getting worse. And they came to a conclusion to medical discharge me. And so, so 20, 23 years of serving, it takes half an hour to get kicked out. Yeah, I've heard this before, actually. But yeah. They sort of do all the work in the background, don't they? And then they make their decision. And then you're like, well, have I got any say in this at all? Just, I'm, just, I'm the person involved. Have I got any? But they're like, no, that's it, you're done. And then you come out, of course, um, which would be on a medical uh, pension, I would have thought. So Yeah, it would be, yeah, yeah. But then, you yeah, you know, that's it, you're done. That's your career done, 23 years now. So you're like, okay, well, now I've got to go and find something else. And unfortunately, in City Street, there's not much need for snipers, I would have thought. <laughs> not at all. So, not at all. I mean, that's the same yeah, with this. Not many people, yeah, we don't need many people bombed with jets in the city world, unfortunately. So I'm the same. All right, I'll just go out and do something else then. But So that PTSD then, that, that doesn't change. Um, combat stress don't deal with severe, severe PTSD. It's got to be an NHS thing, isn't it? Yeah, but even the NHS let you down. Uh, they don't. They don't really deal with a severe PTSD. Um, and I remember going into my GP once, um, civilian GP, and I said to him that I've got severe PTSD, and I've been discharged out of the army. And he wrote. He went. He sort of rolled his eyes, and I went, "Fuck you then." And I stood up, and he goes, "No, no, no, no. I'll give you this." And he printed the um, mental health, NHS mental health for veterans. He printed it off for me. And he goes, what's this? And he goes, give them a ring. So, and I gave them a ring. And because I had severe PTSD, yeah. see, PTSD with one issue, um, my therapist said to me, if it was one issue, we could cope with it. It's right. because you've got hundreds of issues you got different issues from different um, uh, different tours. Yeah. Yeah, so basically basically everything that I saw in Bosnia, Kosovo, yeah. um, Iraq, I sort of held back and I've stored it in my head, yeah. you know, and I've cracked on. But as soon as I got blown up, it was like that wall that I was hiding it behind got shattered and everything just spewed out and I couldn't control what was coming out, yeah. you know, thoughts, memories, um, the smells, everything. Yeah, um, I couldn't control it. And when you try and explain that to some of the NHS, they give you six to five sessions. That's it. That's all they give you. That's you done. That's you done. You're cured. Where you're going wrong here, Craig, is when a doctor rolls his eyes like that, you just got to smash the place up. I mean, you'll get noted. Yeah. You know, oh, actually, has got PTSD because he just smashed my surgery up. It's like, don't roll your eyes at me. Just, you know, you, you're supposed to be able to help. You're supposed to be able to provide someone I can go to and talk this stuff through. Is the actual yeah. argument? Is it? Um, well, interesting enough, when you eject on one of these aircraft, uh, you get sent to the hospital, of course. And what the um, <clears throat> if it's search and rescue take you there, they say treat this person like they've been in a road accident at 300 miles an hour because, of course, they don't know how to deal with an injectee. But you've got you've got spinal breaks and stuff all the way you know what i mean so that's what they need to do they keep on a board and x-ray they've got no idea what an injection is like what does that entail you know it's the the 26g acceleration out of the aircraft and then the massive impact of course under the parachute with all the kit on when you hit the ground as well probably at speed so they have i mean why would they have an idea so that's why they tell them this guy's been in a car accident like 300 miles an hour car you know what i mean it's like, yeah, then they exactly. cut your off. you're all naked cut your flight kit off and then when you discharge you're like 
I'll go have to be naked on the train. I've got no, you know what I mean? Where's the nearest Tesco's? <laughs> That's like, there's no kit for me. One of my mates did that. They just charged him. He was like, I'm just going to have to go to Tesco's whilst I hold like this. <laughs> go and buy the most random kit possible to get on the train. <laughs> so he basically got this complex. Like, So is it just, is it, I don't know. Is it constant therapy that what unravels the PTSD and just allows you to come out of it in a time-based fashion, is it? Yeah, I pay I, I pay for my own therapy and his name's Ross Hall and um he's such a fucking gleaming guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, such a guy. And he um he unravels it. He he makes me understand it. Right. It's not it's not myself unraveling it, like you said, it, it's him that unravels right. it for me and he makes me understand it more and uh, uh, about different scenarios. So yeah. 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 So, so he, he worked. He, yeah, he's he's he does a thing called EMDI as well, where he does memory recall, where you recall the incident and then he takes you back out of it, I recalls see. you back in and recalls you back out. You know, that's it's it's quite intense sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. he's been like he's been around my house. He's come around my house to see if I'm all right, and that's how far he goes as yeah. a therapist. You know. Well, we did we did talk, didn't we? Something that's quite common, guys leave the military, is this um, suicidal ideation. I mean, I most certainly had it, and I talk about it when I left because my wife was living apart from me for a year, and I, I was under a very intense job. I think I left at 43, and we tend to see this problem between 35 and 45. And if we get guys through the back end of their 40s, they tend to be all right. But we lost pilots through suicide. It's, it's quite rare, but we did have a spate where we lost two or three guys um, through suicide. And you did talk about... The fact that you had those things as well, um, I believe you were in the states at the time, and you managed to, you know, was it your dog that sort of helped you through this one? Yeah, time? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, um, I managed to get hold of a gun, and then um, I was just going to do something stupid. Yeah, you know, and yeah. um, she she looked at me in a way that she's never looked at me before. She's just down here. She just <laughs> looked at me See? like she never looked at me before and then I yeah sort of pulled me around pulled me around because Tanya wasn't there she was in England yeah, yeah. so Tanya wasn't there so um but yeah That's it was it. good all, all good all good yeah so, don't, don't get don't get me wrong I think about it every single day I wake do. up yeah. yeah yeah I wake up thinking of it mm. I go to bed thinking of it but things that hold me back from going through with it is one, my wife, Tanya, mm, mm. second, my dog helps me. And thirdly, um, somebody's got to find me. Yeah, that's true. And you don't want and that. And then I've infected them with my misery. And then they will infect you know? the family with it and everything else. That's the thing, isn't it? Exactly. So I'd rather suffer in silence and then infect somebody else. You know, there's a program called The Bridge um, about San Francisco Suspension Bridge, and it's about survivors of the bridge when they've jumped off. It's quite an interesting watch. I won't, I won't, I'm, I can watch it now. I wouldn't have watched it a few years ago because I was in that zone, you know what I mean? But they, all these survivors, the people that survive their suicidal jump, say that as soon as they leave the bridge, instantly they realize they've done the wrong thing. Like it's, it's they've all said the same thing, like, I've done the wrong thing here, you know what I mean? And now they're, hurtling to the water, towards the water, they get fished yeah, out. Like, yeah. those, those ones are still alive because obviously the other ones you haven't heard from because they're dead. But it just makes me realise, isn't it? I had a mate of mine, and I won't name which airplane he was on because he's um, he's a good dude, actually. He's a really good guy, still involved in aviation, and he's come out with, he's been open about it all the time. He was telling me a story where he went to um, 
he went to kill himself. He went to a bridge <laughs> and he sat on this high bridge and um, he sat there looking at the water. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Fine. And he's, he's got his hand on the side and this bloke stops in a car behind him and he runs up and he grabs him and says, mate, mate, careful. You might fall off that. Like literally thinking the guy was yeah. he, like pulls him off and he's like, yeah, yeah, no, mate, I'm just sitting here, you know, just chill, 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 all right. He goes, yeah, just careful, mate. You're almost like, you know, you could have fallen off there. He's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. She goes, oh, I'll, I'll go home and kill myself instead. And by the time he gets home, he's forgotten to do it. And the next day he wakes up and he's like, oh, that was a bit of a weird day. You know, I don't want to do that. Shit, that was... And then he realised that he was going in and out of this and he went to see someone and he sort of worked himself through it. But he was going through a really dark time, you know, for many, many years. I think yeah. that's the thing about it, isn't it? We, we do have a purpose in life and it just sometimes takes someone to tell us that doesn't it that there is a purpose for us being here and we can we can move forward and work through that um i bet your dog was looking at you going don't be a dick what are you doing dick lord yeah Come basically yeah. basically <laughs> that's, yeah that's it. stop being a dick um right so can we talk then briefly your instagram is really good actually i really like it. i don't want to keep you too much longer because obviously both got families and your one's more important than mine right now so um i've got your instagram here which i really like oh your instagram is really good my instagram's rubbish so um that's my, where I'm going, that's Insta, here we go. That's my Insta feed. I'm going to search up here for you. All right. There we go, straight to the top. Here we are. Right, so this we're looking at your Maverick Survival School. I mean, this is, this is great. I'll go through this. You've got some great content on here. Um, is that your dog there, is it? That's Betsy, yeah. Yeah, check it. Oh, yeah. that's the cutest thing in the world, isn't it? Um, so you've got, uh, obviously, you, the Survival School that you've got here, you post a lot of details about this. Obviously, there's a lot of things going on here. I mean, this is your hand, isn't it? That was still the result of the the jackal, was it? You having the operation yeah. on your hand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Still okay. going on. Still going on. Um, let's bring up if you, if, Tim, if you click back onto that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And go onto my photos and go all the way to the bottom near enough. Oh, yeah. Uh, what is that? That is a – oh, you got yeah. – Did you buy one in the States then? Yeah, I did. That's a HNK forty-five, uh, forty-five millimeter. So if 45. you go on, if you go on to the um, Houses of Parliament one, just that above one. it, yeah. yeah. What do you reckon that is? Right, go on. We've got to be discussing something like veteran affairs in the north, haven't we, or something? And at the bottom, we've got to be discussing yeah. something like MPs pay, is it, or something like that? Go yeah, on, MP, MPs oh, pay yeah. on the bottom, and yeah, yeah. about suicide with mental health with I'm veterans at the top. No, I mean, what is it? See, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to rally against government, but I've just seen something about Matt Hancock and contracts going to his buddy through a third firm, you know what I mean? And all that kind of stuff. I saw that this morning. It's, um, is that really, is that about MPs pay on the bottom? Yeah. Yeah. MPs pay. And about uh, the top one is um, suicide in veterans. I wonder why they don't go to this. Maybe it doesn't have an impact on, on whether they're elected or not, I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? Maybe because they don't care. Well, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is 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 not caring. It's saying you care, isn't it? And and they're not actually caring. Well, yeah. it's easier to say, isn't it? I mean, they all do it. It's when people say, "Oh, our thoughts and prayers." It's like well, that's not going to help because the person is, you know what I mean. But understand exactly. that thoughts and prayers mm -hmm. weird. It's like, well, how about you just put more money into the system? Because I've, I think you were talking about that some money went to something like combat. Was it combat stress or something? Or and it wasn't going to touch the sides. It was just going to feed the hierarchy, basically. Oh, five million to veterans charities. Five million. I mean, to veterans charities. So we're going to shell that out, and no veterans going to see that. It's going to go into some admin and stuff in it. We all know that. Yeah, um, being negative, aren't I? But you know, we all know what happens to it. But 
I mean, there's yeah. more homeless, there's more veterans homeless on the street now, I think, than ever, isn't there? Oh, no, yeah. Right down, right down. There's probably a reason for that as well, because I just get pissed off the whole thing and think, right, that's it. I'm going to go and live on the street and then I don't have to, you know, work for some dick or whatever I don't want to work for. Um, but you've done a similar thing, of course, because you've got your own school. I've got my school. Your school is a bit cooler than mine, though, because um, you get to call it cool names for a start and you uh, you get to build fires and you get to make weapons and sticks and things, which is awesome. Where's the gallery? Here we are. So what's so what do you this school then you've got you take people out on a weekend oh, it's a bit cold right now isn't it so probably what in spring you're going to do this again yeah yeah it's shut down till March now yeah. um, oh. to the early bits of March but what it is um, I concentrate on um, one on one one on one on two yeah um, okay. and basically you get more out of it from the instructor. Mm. Because it's quite a lot to fit in, you know. I do flint napping, do archery. We make our own arrows. We do some forging, uh, making like nails. Yeah, that is awesome. Nails into our heads and stuff like that. So yeah, it's how all. How do you make an arrow? Then you have to whittle wood down or something, do you? Yeah, yeah. You get a bit, of, uh, bit of willow, or sorry, a bit of um, hazel, nice straight yeah. wood. Yeah. You make it into an arrow bend it with the fire stuff like that so yeah it's all it's all good yeah so um so it's all shut down till next year now but i'm taking bookings from january right and um i called it the maverick survival school because that, that was my um that was my call sign in afghan and yeah. obviously the book was called longest kill maverick 41 yeah. you know yeah. so the maverick survival school sort of like it sort of felt right to call it that yeah, I like that. Now, with your pricing and kit list, I really like the fact you're up front with it. You're like, bang. Do you want me to click on that? Or are, you, are you changing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay, because I know some people would be saying, no, i change it. So you rock up at 6 p.m. on a Friday. You get out of there midday on a Sunday, and this is your full weekend. This is where you get to – what, it's like you could – do you get like a bandana on and get ramboed up? You go and hunt people. That's what I do. I <laughs> get all the politicians put them on the run in the wood and stuff, and then I go, right, come That's on, it. we're going to make – Escape and evasion on MPs. Yeah, on, on MPs. Yeah, exactly. So flint napping is that making flint into weapons? Then is it on sharpening up and stuff? Is that? Yeah, yeah, making uh, flint napping, uh, making small arrowheads, um, right. small shards of um, sharp flint, and just right. make it into a hasty arrow. And um, I've got an actual proper an archery um, bow, so right. we're not actually making the bow because the bow takes time to season and things like right. that. But the arrow doesn't. So you make fletchlings. You can see there on that picture, we made a spoon, made a whistle, uh, yeah. made a mallet, made a tent peg, you know, made an arrow. It's crazy. That is crazy. Also, just taking just like an axe and just, just whittling stuff down and. Yep. Yeah. All whittling it down using the knives and all that. That everything will be everything will be provided for you. All you need to, yeah. if you want to bring your own tent, bring your own tent, bring your own food. And then um, from there, we just go from there. And it's Friday till Sunday, about 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, we finish. And this is just sitting down with a couple of dudes, whatever, or a single dude and just having a chat and, or a dude that's it. just that's chilling it. out. And yeah. um, if you've got PTSD or anything or you want to talk, I'm there to listen. Yeah. You know, And also Ross said that we've planned that if, it, if somebody's got like bad PTSD and yeah. he comes down, that he will come down one night and he will sit and talk with him as well. That is good. That is good. Yeah. Do you get veterans yeah. then? Do you, you get veterans come down or what do you get? Yeah, well, um, I did a podcast with um, James English. 
Right. And then if you know James English, he's know. quite he's quite a well renowned uh, podcaster. And um, the I've been overwhelmed next year with bookings. Um, so with veterans and people that want to come down or, or people just want to come down and meet me, you know, yeah, and yeah. we just shoot the shit, you know, the woods there, the, you know, is a 57 acre wood and it's, it's a beautiful woods. And we just sit there, shoot the shit, build some stuff, shoot some stuff. And then, uh, you know, eat, make stuff. And that's it. Gleaming. It's um, it's a good thing actually. My flight squad I tend to find a lot of veterans come in there because it's quite therapeutic to put virtual reality on and and fly with other people, you know, and and go and do the things I prepare. So I can see why this is popular. I can see yeah. why people want to come and do it. I think there needs to be. I tell you what, this is what they do. I remember um, oh come on, who's the American sniper guy? Uh, Kyle. Chris Kyle. Kyle, yeah. I Chris remember Kyle. He, was it Chris Kyle? He was taking uh, a lot of guys, wasn't he, out to the range doing range work, wasn't he? Um, and that, that was very beneficial for them, wasn't it? Because they were able to go out there. I'll just see whether I've got everything right on this. And they would be able to go out and actually do some range work and, and put some rounds down range and everything else. But we can't do that in the country, can we, in the UK? Because we don't have any full ball sort of shooting, do we? So no, Chris doing, we, couldn't, we couldn't do here at all. So this is this is like the next best thing. This is saying, yeah, we're going to go out and we're going to do some bushcraft. We're going to do some fieldcraft. And we're going to have a chat through some stuff. I think it's brilliant. And so you just say here, do you just bring your stuff, whatever, bring whatever you want. I'd obviously bring a, a massive tent and I'd bring a huge amount. All the creature comforts would come out of me. I'll probably bring probably like one of those camper vans, to be fair, Craig. Fair enough. Yes, fair <laughs> enough. Exactly. <laughs> We'd have like a fridge in there and everything, you know what I mean? A big awning <laughs> will come out. <laughs> well, I said, didn't I? I said, when you when you run this again, now this is in the south of England. Where Where is this you do? Where are the guys got to go to? Um, they go, it's near Portsmouth, so it's near a village called Bishop's Waltham in okay. in Fair, near Fairham. So, um, and it's a, just a wood block there, fifty-seven acres. Yeah. So, yeah, and every, yeah. everything's there. So, you know, it's like you'll have to you have to um, take part to understand how good it's it, it is good. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll come down in the new year because my mum's in Portsmouth. My sisters are down there. So I go back and see them. So I'll give you a call, whatever, and I'll come down. I'll come and like bring a camera over and, and, and film some stuff and put it on the YouTube channel if you want. We just have a yeah, catch up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that'd be good. Too. Yeah, be yeah. Good. have a catch up. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Well, yeah, no, I really, yeah. really appreciate you coming on. I've got a lot out of that that you don't, out of chatting to you, that you, you, you get in, in the books and parts of the books, but there's there's a whole, like, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think when you're talking to another military dude, you, you understand like, how bases work and how, you know, downtime works and how you kind of, you know, how, you know, you have like a, I always said to my wife, you know, um, no move before time. Like, and it, you know, it's like no move before five o'clock. She knows what's going on then. And you don't get yeah. that in, in civil land. People are going, oh, we'll go, we'll go roughly at eight. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That don't work for me. Roughly at eight. It doesn't work for me. That's it. It's like, how about we go at eight? Oh, you know, I've just got to get changed. I've got to get the kids down. I've got to flashes me up. That, that brings out the rage. I just have to leave at eight. Like, you know, I'm like, I'm going. I'll meet you there then because I can't, I'm not in tune with the whole, well, when it happens, it happens. I haven't got myself. So when you chat to another military dude, you kind of understand that. That's, that's or, mentioning, kind of or mentioning contact. Yeah. I'll contact you when I can. Yeah. Oh, fuck. You can't, <laughs> can't say contact. No, no, exactly. It's all that. It's all that. But look, we covered everything. I didn't think we would, to be fair, because there's a load of, well, I've got some other stuff down here, but we'll touch on that the next time. But no, I really appreciate you uh, you coming on. Thanks so much, and I wish you all the best for your business. I hope to speak to no you. No worries, buddy. No, no worries.
Cheers. No, Thank you a lot. Listen.